The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation can help guide you through the selection of medical specialists and treatments, including clinical trials. Our on-staff mesothelioma expert, Shannon Sinclair, is available to speak with patients and their families to help guide them through this complicated process. In today's episode of Miso TV, we learn more about Shannon and her role at the Foundation. Miso TV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast, produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization, provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellic and Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, NovoCure, Merck, The Gory Law Firm, and Early Lucarelli Sweeney and Meisenkothen. Visit CureMiso.org to learn more. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Julie Powers. I'm the Executive Director of the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, and it is my privilege today to introduce our Patient Services Director, Shannon Sinclair. Hi, Shannon. Hi, how are you? Great. Thanks for doing this interview. We thought it'd be fun for uh, us to get some basic Q&A so that our patients, families, caregivers, and communities can learn a little bit more about you um, as, as uh, you spend more time with our patients um, and help folks navigate their own diagnosis and treatment journeys. So I made a list of 10 questions. <laughs> and if I forgot anything or anything you want to add at the end, we'll, we'll tag it on. So the first question that I've been asked about you is what made you decide to become a nurse? Oh, gosh. So this is kind of a, a funny um, sort of around the bout way of how I became a nurse. Um, I actually have a bachelor's degree in animal science. That was the first thing that I went for um, when I got out of school. And um, I did a lot of work as a uh, veterinary technician while I was going through my program for the bachelor's degree. And um, my goal was to go to veterinary school. But um I shortly realized that what I actually loved doing was the patient care. And um, I worked in a really progressive um, animal clinic that had an oncology program as well as a neurology program, internal medicine, ER, uh, surgery. Um, so that's really where I decided that I didn't necessarily want to be the doctor. Um, I liked my role as a nurse. So that's when I started looking into going into actual nursing school. Wow, that's an interesting path. Yes. <laughs> um, so what was it that pushed you to become an oncology nurse? Yeah, so um, again, so I started, um, I did internal medicine and oncology when I worked in the animal world. Um, and that's where I really fell in love with oncology as well as um, you know, my family's been touched by it, as I think everybody's has been. Um, and so I really started looking into that program. And when I started going through my nursing program, when we were allowed to pick our preceptorship, I did my preceptorship on the oncology floor at Children's Hospital. And I just literally fell in love with um, the group of patients, the family members, the caregivers. Um, I just knew right away that that's where I wanted to be. And that's where I felt like I could help most. Wow, great. I'm so glad you found your, your way to oncology and ultimately to us. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so we got a lot of patient phone calls, emails, Facebook messages, 
we don't get facts anymore, but you know what I mean? We, people come to us in a lot of ways. What would you say are the most common questions that you get asked when they contact the Miso Foundation? I think probably one of the biggest questions that I get asked is a lot of people use the internet um, for looking up what mesothelioma is, what the statistics are on it. And unfortunately, um, you know, there's good information, but there's also a lot of bad information on the internet. Um, so really weeding through that, um, especially with expectations for treatment, um, you know, survivorship, um, longevity, things like that. Um, those are probably the biggest questions I get, especially when somebody is newly diagnosed. Um, and, you know, all they've really had is the internet to look at. Um, I also get a lot of questions on when a clinical trial is appropriate um, and when getting a second opinion is appropriate as well. So I would say that those are probably the three biggest things um, that I get. And then on the back burner of that, a lot of people that are already going through treatment, um, a lot of them do um, call in or email me about side effects that they're having due to the different uh, therapies that they're getting. Oh, very interesting. Um, so virtually every patient who comes to us and is part of the Miso community has a caregiver. If you could tell every caregiver out there the one thing that you would like them to know and about your role in, their, in the journey, what would you like to tell those caregivers? Yeah, so I actually think that um, I probably get contacted, you know, I would say it's almost a 50-50 split as to whether it's a patient or whether it's the patient's caregiver. Um, and I think sometimes that's because the patients are so overwhelmed with what they're already going through um, that the caregivers are really the ones that are looking out for what could be next, um, treatment options and things like that. So I guess I would say as a caregiver, um, you know, you're always welcome to contact me. Um, I can help with the journey through them, especially if the patient's not ready to talk to somebody about it or talk to somebody else about it. You know, they feel really bombarded when they've got several care teams already on board. And then just to take on one more is sometimes a little bit too stressful. So um, I can certainly do a lot of um, advocating for the patients through the caregivers um, you know, just being able to kind of tell them what the journey is, um, where to get a second opinion, how to set those things up, um, and different side effects and such. So, you know, as we know, a lot of our patients are pretty sick, especially when they're diagnosed or um, facing a surgery or facing different treatment options. So definitely the caregivers have a huge role in this and they get a lot of strain from it. So I certainly can be there to talk them through that and give them some support. That's really important. I appreciate that you said that. And, and I have to say, I, won, I bet a lot of people didn't realize that about half the calls we get here or the outreach we get from the community is, is actually from caregivers. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's really um, an, interesting, an interesting statistic. So back to the patient experience, this is kind of a two-parter. What is something you wish patients would do after they're diagnosed and something you wish that they wouldn't do? <laughs> um, so I think some things that I wish that they would do is that it's okay to um, advocate for yourself. I think a lot of people think that it's not okay to ask their doctor questions or to question a physician um, about maybe something that they've read or something that they've heard. Um, and it's, it's, 
it's very appropriate to do those things. Um, in fact, you need to do those things for yourself so that you're getting the proper care that you need. Um, it's also important for you to advocate for yourself because we know that mesothelioma is not prevalent. Um, it is a rare disease. So, you know, it's okay to say, hey, I think I'm going to try to get a second opinion from an expert. You know, I would, I would love to, you know, maybe be able to continue my care here, but also look for somebody else that has an actual um, team of mesothelioma doctors where they can get some more, um, you know, avenues to either uh, clinical trials, um, up and coming things that are in the works. Um, so I think those are the, that I think, you know, advocating for yourself is definitely the one thing that people don't do enough of. Okay. And what are, what's something that you wish patients would not do? Which I know is very hard not to do. Um, we all do it. I do it. Um, but you know, there's just so much out there that's either misinformation or, um, you know, not accurate information that, um, I wish that, you know, the internet is a blessing, but it's also a curse. So you definitely need to turn to somebody that knows, you know, what they're talking about, knows the latest statistics, and also um, just kind of what's in the pipeline, because so many people think that they don't have options when they're diagnosed with this disease, but they do now. I think that's a great point. And thank you for, for naming it. Don't go to WebMD. <laughs> um, you know, you've talked a lot about um, about things that are in the pipeline. You've talked about clinical trials and helping patients figure out if a clinical trial is right for them and if it is, which one. So given all of that, what treatment options give you some hope for the future for our patients? I think right now, um, you know, the up and coming targeted therapies are really where um, the strategy is going to be at looking at um, different molecular biomarkers on the tumor type, um, as well as just within the patient's body, and trying to really hone in on those and using those targeted therapies, they, they can just give so much more hope for people. Um, and, you know, definitely the tolerability can be a lot better as well. Um, you know, it was super excited when the um, Obdivo Yervoy um, indication came out because that was the first indication in 16 years that they had in the space of mesothelioma and it was using immunotherapy. So just that was so exciting. And I think we're going to see a lot more exciting things like that with the immunotherapies and the targeted therapies. That's really exciting and absolutely does give us hope for the future for our patients. Yeah. Um, so most of our patients either have plural mesothelioma or peritoneal mesothelioma, but there are other kinds of mesothelioma. And so what other kinds do we, do we help at the foundation and how can we help these extremely rare patients? Yeah, so, um, you know, we do see a handful of um, testicular mesothelioma, which a lot of people don't even know that that exists. Um, and it is extremely rare. I think they say it's less than 1% of everybody that's diagnosed with mesothelioma. Um, so, you know, when I have somebody new that's diagnosed with that or somebody that's been diagnosed and um, is facing a treatment option, I really try to get them to um, an expert panel for an opinion, as well as, um, you know, trying to link them up with somebody else that has it that's already affiliated with the foundation um, that, you know, may be on the survivor side or may be going through treatment right now as well. 
because uh, I think that's really important to know that there are others out there um, that are that are facing these challenges as well. Um, we do, you know, you can see pericardial. I have not had anybody um, that has actually gotten with me that has that, but it is certainly something that you can have. Um, and then well-differentiated papillary mesothelioma is another one. Um, it can actually be of the other spaces that we see, um, but it is treated quite differently. And we have a really good meso TV episode on that with um, Dr. Nash, who talks about that um, in the peritoneal mesothelioma. So um, quite interesting what, what we get. Um, and definitely, you know, we have people from all around the world um, that come and that are looking for some advice, especially some of the more rare ones. Okay. Well, so given how rare mesothelioma already is and that there are these um, even more rare subtypes, um, um, how important is it that patients get to a mesothelioma expert? Um, it, how does that affect outcomes, treatment, et cetera? I think it's really important. And I think it's very important to do it right off the bat. You know, I have a lot of folks that ask like, well, when should I seek a second opinion or when should I seek um, a meso expert? And, you know, my theory on that is it's never too soon. Um, the sooner that you can do it, the sooner that you can have somebody like that in your back pocket, even if they agree with what your local oncologist has to say, um, at least they're in on your case. And for future treatments, um, if you progress or if you reoccur, um, it's definitely nice to have that expert already there. And then they also are the ones that are running all of the clinical trials at the bigger centers. So they have the means to say like, hey, I think that you would be great for this, um, especially some of the trials that are looking at first line therapies. So if we can't get those people in there um, right away, if they've already had treatment, um, even if they've already had surgery, a lot of that kicks them off of those clinical trials. So as soon as they get that diagnosis, it's really important to um, get an expert panel on onto their case. That's a really important point. Thank you for making it. Um, and if somebody needs a second opinion, um, how can you help them navigate that process? So the great thing about being part of the foundation is that um, the doctors and all of the meso experts around the United States are, you know, they're very familiar with us. Um, I've been able to make some great uh, relationships with some of the different places um, and with some of the different doctors themselves. So um, generally, I can just, um, you know, email them, I can give them a call um, and let them know that I've got a new patient in the works and that I would love for them to be able to see them and they'll get their team working on it. So it's kind of going in um, sort of the back door of it, um, but it does seem to really make a difference. It gets the ball rolling, I think a lot faster than if you're trying to do it on your own, especially because a lot of times patients or caregivers, they just don't even know where to start with it. So um, with being able to you know, get, the, get their foot in the door through the foundation, it's, it's definitely helpful. Okay. So someone watching this who's thinking, I, maybe I should get a second opinion, they should reach out to you. What's the best Absolutely. way for, what's the best way for them to get to you? Um, you know, they can always call um, or they can always email me as well. Um, you know, either way is, is very good. Um, sometimes shooting an email first, and then we can always set up a, a time to call. Um, and that way people, you know, 
we've got a set time, we know that we're going to talk, um, and they can bring all of their questions with them. Um, I, you know, I often say, like, please write down all of your questions, and that way we can make sure that we can hit on everything when we have our conversation, um, and it doesn't get too jumbled up through, um, you know, uh, several different emails or something like that. So, okay. but they're always my doors open um, pretty much 24 seven. So they're always able to reach out to me. That's great. Um, and for anyone watching at home, the email they should use is Shannon at curemiso.org. And that'll get to Shannon. And then of course, um, the phone number and et cetera are on our website at www.curemiso.org. And that'll be listed below. Um, the last question that I have for you um, <laughs> before we wrap up is what is your superpower? Oh man. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't, I would say my personal superpower is probably my compassion for animals. Um, I know a lot of people know if they are Facebook people and if we're friends on Facebook or if they're a part of the groups that I do run my own little um, hobby farm with a lot of misfit animals that have been um, thrown away or cast away at different auctions around Ohio. So um, I try to I try to take them in and give them a nice cushy life to live out the rest of their life in. So um, it's just one of my passions and it's certainly probably my second calling in life. Um, and I love it. It keeps me very busy, um, but it's super fun and they bring me a lot of joy. So I, I try to share some pictures on there to give everybody a smile or a laugh. Um, even though they're going through such a traumatic event, hopefully it, it at least brings them a little bit of joy. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to share with the group before we sign off for today? I don't think so. I just really want to um, let everybody know to please contact me if they have any questions. Um, you know, like I said, I'm always here. It's it's what my job is to do. Um, you know, I get a lot of folks that say like, I don't want to bother you or um, you know, I'm sorry, it's me again, but, um, you know, you should never be, you should never hesitate. Um, you can always reach out to me and, um, you know, I've formed some really great relationships with some caregivers and some patients just since I've been here over the last six months. So, um, it, it's really, it's, you know, it's good therapy for me and it's good, it's good for them as well. So definitely reach out. Well, thanks Shannon. It's been great chatting with you today. And, uh, you know, we hope that more patients will reach out to you so that we can be part of their team as they fight mesothelioma. Absolutely. Thank you. It was good to, it was good to be here today.